0: In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Our text for today is the Gospel reading, which you've already heard. In the Lord's Prayer, Jesus has taught us to pray, Give us this day our daily bread. And it's not because our Father in Heaven is unaware of our hunger, but because He wants us to realize that He is, in fact, the giver of our daily bread. For the Christian, this emphasizes God's abundant grace to all people, even to all evil people, because God indeed causes the rain to fall on the just as well as the unjust. And as he does this, God provides bread to the eater and seed to the sower. God gives us all these things by his grace and by his grace alone. His fatherly fatherly divine goodness and mercy is extended throughout all creation to his people. Jesus, in today's text, presents a rather interesting problem to his disciples. A large crowd was following Jesus, and we learn from Matthew that it was at least for the entire day that they had followed him on foot from towns and villages because of the miracles that he'd been performing. But it is possible to read it in a way that they had been following him for some time. It's interesting. John tells us that when they sat down, there were 5,000 men in number. And Matthew tells us that there were also women and children that are not included in that number. Scholars estimate that this means there may have been as many as 10,000 and as many as 20,000 at this one particular miracle. So it's not something that's small scale. This is a big deal miracle that Jesus is performing. But this also isn't the first time that God has set such a large table. Consider the Israelites in the wilderness. We read about them in Exodus chapter 16, God provided quail at twilight and manna in the morning. Everyone had enough to eat. But Numbers chapter 2 gives us a better picture of what that actually looked like. If you go through and you add up all of the people counted in the tribes of Israel, it tells us that there were 603,000 550 men in Israel at that point. However, this also did not include the women, the children, or the entire tribe of Levi, which was not counted in the census. So this is a huge number of people that are out in the wilderness going towards the promised land that need something to eat. With that picture in mind, perhaps we can understand why Pharaoh considered the Israelites to be such a threat. But that aside, God fed all of them with manna in the wilderness, not just once or twice, but for 40 years before bringing them into the promised land. But even that Larger-scale miracle is a drop in the bucket when you consider the entirety of human history. God caused the earth to bring forth plants and fruit trees, and he created the animals, and they were given to us to eat. God says, For as the rain and the snow come down from heaven and do not return there, but water the earth, making it bring forth and sprout, Giving seed to the sower and bread to the eater, so shall my word be that goes out from my mouth. So, everything that we have, most especially what we eat, comes from God's own hand, or rather, to use what God said in Isaiah, comes from his own mouth. So, What Jesus does here with this crowd, with the loaves and the fish, is in miniature what he does for us all of the time. How beautiful is it that our Savior, who would not turn stones into loaves of bread to eat when he was starving, wanted to make sure that not only did the crowd have enough to eat, But they also had enough left over that they gathered up more than what they started with. And on top of that, he also continues to feed us into this day, more than we can ever eat. How many times do some of our leftovers, which wander their way into the back of the refrigerator, grow fuzzy things and end up in the trash because we have simply too much that we cannot eat at all? Some of you may remember uh, the name of a social scientist, Paul Ehrlich. Maybe, I don't know if you've heard that name before, but he wrote a book in 1968 called The Population Bomb. Anybody remember that book? Matt's nodding his head. He listens to issues, etc. cetera. Uh, so he wrote this book, The Population Bomb. And in this book, he painted a horrifying picture of the future of humanity, that if the global population continued to grow at the current rate that it was in 1968, that there would be a future of mass starvation for humankind. At that point, in 1968, global censuses tell us that there were 3.5 billion people living in the world. And his concern was that there would not be enough food to feed everyone. Well, fast forward to the year of our Lord, 2023, with improvements in farming techniques and technology. We have now been enabled to produce enough food that feeds the world in abundance. Now, doubters will object that there are still many starving people around the world. But the problem is not one of production. We have a problem with distribution. God's provision, through a better understanding of how food works, multiplies more than what the loaves and fish did that day by the Sea of Tiberias. The amazing thing is, is that today, in the year of our Lord 2023, the global population has eclipsed 7 billion people, more than twice what the global population was when Ehrlich wrote his book. In the large catechism, Martin Luther writes about the fourth petition, the give us this day our daily bread. He says this, It would be very proper to place on the coat of arms every pious prince a loaf of bread instead of a lion or a wreath of herbs. This would remind both princes and their subjects that by their office, we have protection and peace. Without them, we could not eat and keep our daily bread. And so it is no surprise then that at the end of this miracle, when Jesus feeds this great crowd, that in the aftermath and the furor of what had happened, the crowds sought to to take Jesus forcibly and make him king. He had provided for all of their needs. They wanted him to keep on providing for them into the future, even though he had never stopped doing it up to this point and wouldn't stop doing it after this either. In fact, later on in this same chapter, Jesus tells them, do not work for the food that perishes, but for the food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give to you. He's not telling them to be lazy, that God will simply just drop food into our open mouths as we lay about. He's telling the people there with him who saw this miracle, and us today, that we don't need to be anxious about it, that we don't need to be worried about our daily bread. Jesus talks about this in the Sermon on the Mount, if you remember. He says, do not be anxious saying, what shall we eat or what shall we drink or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. People loved by God. Jesus knows your needs because he created you, but he also knows your needs because he became like you. He knows what it's like to be hungry. But Jesus doesn't just want to be the kind of king that only provides for your daily bread needs. That's why he wouldn't let himself be taken and made king here by the Sea of Tiberias. Jesus wants to be the kind of king that, as we said in the Collect for the Day, provides for all our needs of both body and soul. And so, he does this, not simply by feeding and filling our stomachs, but he does this by giving to you the bread that endures to eternal life. And that bread, he says is his very flesh. This is the bread, he says, that comes down from heaven so that whoever eats of it will live forever. Jesus gives you that bread together with his blood to drink on this very day. Jesus says, whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life and I will raise him up on the last day. This is why St. Ignatius of Antioch is quoted in our own Lutheran confessions by calling the Lord's Supper the medicine of immortality. When you eat and drink Jesus' body and blood, you are eating and drinking life itself. And this is why Jesus won't simply be forced into being a bread king. He was waiting for the time to be right for his real coronation as our king. That is, as when the Jews took him forcibly from the Garden of Gethsemane, when the soldiers arrayed him in purple and crowned him with thorns, when Pontius Pilate handed him over to be crucified, and when he wrote above his head, Jesus of Nazareth, The king of the Jews. There at Golgotha on the cross, Jesus was finally made the kind of king that he came to be. He came to be our king who would lay down his life in order that we would have everlasting life. And here at this altar this morning, he gives us the bread from heaven that he would satisfy not just our bodily needs, but the needs of our souls. Therefore, dear saints, let us go to the feast that our Lord has prepared. For here he gives more than simple bread and wine. He gives us his body and blood to eat and drink. That we who hunger and thirst for righteousness may never be hungry Or thirsty again. In Jesus' name. And now, the peace of God, which passes all understanding, keep your hearts and minds through faith in Christ Jesus our Lord.